Well, it is my honor and my privilege, praise God, to introduce our guest to you today, Brother Scott Webb. Praise God. Come on up here, brother. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. What a blessing. Hallelujah. It's always an honor. Praise God. Love having you. Praise God. So I'm just excited to, I'm excited. Every time my brother comes and ministers, he deposits God things. That always takes us to a new place. And so we're always grateful for that. So it's an honor and privilege, sir. Praise God. You and Phyllis mean a lot to us. Thank you, Always sir. been very good friends to us. And thank you for coming Amen. out. Praise God. I just, wish, I just fun, wish we'd have been lo- uh, friends longer. I do too. Praise I the Lord. I do too. What took you so long? I don't know. You know, what, what can I say? What can I say? Good morning, everybody. It is my joy to be with you once again. Praise God. Uh, we missed you last year. I hear they had some kind of a thing outbreak, and uh, we uh, we didn't make it, but praise the Lord, we're sure glad to be back with you today. Your pastors are awesome. Aren't they cute? I mean, just they're, they're just so cute together. Praise the Lord. Amen. Just makes you feel young, doesn't it? Just watching them. Praise God. Speaking of young, I brought a young lady with me uh, this year that uh, we didn't uh, have, I didn't have with me last year or last time I came. Uh, my daughter-in-law, Tara, was... Uh, accompanying me on the previous trip, but this time I've got my wife, Phyllis. And uh, Phyllis, why don't you stand up? Amen. Praise God. I'm so happy to have her uh, on this trip. Uh, She's going to be helping me in ministry this week, and we're going to have a good time. I I believe the Lord's going to share some good things with us and um, some needful things. How many of you know that Jesus said, that the church was the safe place to be in the last days. He sure did. The 16th chapter of uh, Matthew. Pastor quoted part of that uh, chapter earlier, but uh, Jesus said, um, on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's the church that the gates or the powers of hell will not prevail against in these last days. And so it's no wonder that Satan, and the, uh, who is, of course, the god of this world, and the systems, and all the systems under his, or within his sphere of influence, it's no wonder that they are trying to separate us. They want to they wanna push us apart. And we've seen so much of it over the past 18 months, how this, this, uh, the, the, the pressure to stay home, the pressure to don't meet, don't gather, Political pressure, social pressure, even legal pressure brought to bear against the people of God. And uh, it's, all, it's all by design. It's all part of Satan's end time game in order to weaken us. But Jesus has already said, no, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Glory to God. So uh, we're winners. And winners win. That's what winners do. You know, we talk about who we are, but let's talk about what we do. If we're winners, then we win. We are winners because God made us winners, and as winners, we win. Praise God. We got any winners in here this morning? All right. Praise the Lord. So uh, we're so happy to be with you and uh, so happy to uh, just see what God has for us this week. It will be encouraging. It will be edifying. It will strengthen us. It will prepare us for the days ahead. What a great day to know what we know. Where would we be if we had not been taught what we've been taught? 
I'll tell you what, I thank God for those that have gone before. My teachers, my mentors, my friends, my peers, those that hold forth the word of life. And I am so thankful for it because we'd be in a world of hurt today if we didn't know what we know. Boy, how about if you were a Christian in Afghanistan, would you want to know how to live by faith? Oh yeah, praise the Lord. So thank God we do. And this week is going to be a week of faith strengthening and faith building and, and whatever else the Lord has for us. So we're glad you're here. And uh, we're glad that uh, we had the, this opportunity to be with you this morning. I mentioned my wife, a young lady. She uh, and I will celebrate 50 years of marriage next year. That's a, that's a pretty good run, isn't it? Yeah, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. They look way too young for that. Well, you're right. But you have to understand, both she and I were very young when we were born. So anyway, we're glad to have her. We're glad to have you. And uh, let's get into the Word this morning. You ready? Let's see what the Lord has for us. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me today to the book of uh, Matthew's Gospel. I'm going to throw the uh, lady in the uh, who operates the, the screens up here and the Scripture verses a curve. They always ask me for what I... Uh, I'm going to share on, and I'm sure they do all the ministers, but the thing is they don't realize I don't have a clue, so I just make stuff up, and I give them, I give them a list, and uh, half the time I don't do what I think I'm going to do uh, <laughs> before, before I start, but that's the beauty of the Holy Ghost. He, he, he leads us, and he guides us, and he tailors things for us. Praise God. The Lord told me to speak to this today, fear. I speak to the spirit of fear right now in Jesus' name. The spirit of fear has been plaguing, of course, the country and the body of Christ, but there, there's someone in here, maybe probably more than one, who've really been struggling with fear, and you've been, you've, been, you've been beating yourself up about it. You've been beating yourself up about why am I so fearful? Why am I afraid? You don't want to admit it to anybody because you've know, you know the, the Scripture says God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know the scripture tells you to fear not. So you've been beating yourself up about it because you've been feeling fearful and have been really pressured to yield to that. The Lord told me to tell you, don't sweat it. It's not you. All you're feeling is external forces. But what's on the inside of you is far greater than what is pressuring you from the outside. So don't worry about feeling fear. Fear is, is not a threat to you until you act on it, until you yield to it. And you haven't yielded to it, and you haven't acted on it, and you're going to come out on, this, on the other side of this thing far better than you were when you went in. So rejoice and be glad about that, praise God. You've got the victory on your side, praise God. Somebody's being healed right now of a problem in your jaw. I don't know if it's tooth-related or uh, some kind of dental uh, situation or if it's bone, but I just sense right now somebody uh, is like, Right through here in your jawbone, your jawline is being healed. Whatever that is, praise God. If you need that, just thank God for it. Claim it as yours, and you'll see the manifestation of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. You found Matthew chapter 7 yet? I haven't, but I'll get over there. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 7. I'll begin reading here in verse 7. It says, Ask, and you shall and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. 
Verse 9, Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? Verse 11, If you then, being evil or natural, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Look at that 11th verse once again. If you then, being natural, evil, natural, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? I like that. How much more? How much more? How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Well, that's a, that's a good statement, but it's also a good question. How much more? How much more will God give good things to them that ask Him? How much more than what will He give good things to them that ask Him? It's a good question. Let's let's talk about that question a little bit this morning. How much more? Now, first of all, notice that He talks about God as Father. This is something that Jesus came to do and, and successfully did in His earthly ministry. He introduced God as the Father. They didn't know him as father. There were some Old Testament scriptures that referenced him as father, but it was always in a, a, a you know, a, from a viewpoint of austerity and power and, and superiority. But Jesus introduced him as the father of love. And of course, we know him as the father of light and the father of good things and the father of love. Glory to God. And so Jesus introduced him this way and explain to them, now if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That was an astounding statement to people who did not know God in that way. They had a covenant with Him, but you know, the, the Jews had a covenant with God, but they didn't really know Him. And you know, the, the same thing is true of us, that you can have a relationship with God, you can have a covenant with God and, and still not know Him. First John chapter 5 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God. Well, it didn't say He wasn't born of God but it says he doesn't know God because God is love. And so it's the love that God wants us to understand, this attribute, this, this concept of fatherhood. This is the emphasis that he's making here, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, when he says, how much more will your father give good gifts or good things to those that ask him? He wants us to understand this concept of love, and not just love, but also provision and forethought. We, the Bible tells us that we are living in perilous days. Now you hear the world say these are uncertain times that we live in, but there's nothing uncertain about them. You can be certain they're going to be just exactly like he said. But they are perilous times. Where Paul writes you know, to uh, Timothy and talks about you know, in the last days there's going to be all kinds of things. Men are going to be lovers, lovers of themselves more than lovers of God without natural affection, uh, any number of things. And so we, we see here that we are, we've come into these perilous days and these perilous times. But of this, we can be certain that God is the same. He changes not. And His love toward us and His care toward us is the same. It has not and will not change. Glory to God. So we need to think about this and answer this question. How much more will He give good things to those that ask Him? Well, since Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, then we can therefore interpolate some things and understand that as God was to Jesus, this is how we can expect God to be to us. 
And Jesus came and showed God the Father in a way that they had never known Him before. Now, how many of you had a pretty good relationship with your earthly father? There's going to be people in here that did and did not. But to those of you that had a good relationship with your father, your father, natural father, probably did some good things for you. They probably made some real sacrifices for you. They probably really went the extra mile for you on more than one occasion. They probably overlooked a lot of goof-ups on your part. They probably fixed a lot of mess-ups on your part. And why was that? Because they loved you. Did they think you were perfect? Maybe. Were you? No. But that didn't matter because they loved you. And you were their son. You were their daughter. You were the apple of their eye. And so because of that, you saw the goodness of a natural man. I remember, I didn't, I didn't of course, remember this, but the story was told to me many years ago that uh, my mother and dad married young. You know, they were 20, 21 and, uh, when I was born. My dad was 21 when I was born. And um, so uh, when uh, my mother went to the hospital uh, to give birth to me, which, by the way, September 5th, that's coming up, I believe, in two weeks. This, it's Labor Day weekend, and that's named for me because that's when my mother went into labor to have me. But... Uh, You can't prove it's not true. And so, anyway, but I was told the story that my dad, uh, when, when I was uh, being born, as I was being born, my mother with me in the hospital, he went out and bought a new car because he said, no son of mine is going to come home from the hospital in an old car. Man went out and bought a brand new car just to bring me home from the hospital. Now, that might have just been his excuse. I don't know. Maybe he wanted a new car. But the point is, he used me as the reason to purchase that new car. Now, stop and think about that. If, if, if a natural father would do something like that, how much more will our Father, which is in heaven, do good things, give good things, have good things for those that ask Him? God is awesome in His love for us. God is amazing in His provision for us. There's a story over in Genesis chapter 22 of Abraham and his son Isaac, the, the son of promise. And you probably know the story. Uh, but uh, God told Abraham to take Isaac up on the mountain and to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. And we read that story with 21st century Christian understanding. We don't get it really, but you have to understand that sacrifice of children was very common back in those days. People of Abraham's generation and of his, his, the world that he lived in, it was no, it was no weird thing to offer up your son to a deity. All the heathen nations, uh, you know, practiced this. And so when God called Abraham to do that, Abraham, it didn't freak him out. And, and sometimes people read the story and they wonder why didn't it? Because Abraham had been promised this son of God and now God is asking for him to, for him to uh, Abraham thinks he's asking for this sacrifice. So Abraham, without reluctance, without hesitation, heads up on the mountain with the wood, and with his son Isaac, and with the fire and all that. But um, Isaac asked the question. He said, well, you got the wood, you got everything we need, but he said, where's the sacrifice? He, he doesn't see it. And uh, Abraham made this statement in Genesis 22. He said, my son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Let's uh, go, go to the, that verse. Um, back up 
to verse 12. Let's see. Try verse 12. I told you I was going to throw a curve. Da, 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 da. All right. Let's see. No, that's verse. Uh, let, me, let me go over here and find it. I'll help you out. We won't put her on the spot. Genesis chapter 22, verse 7. And Isaac spake unto Abram, Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, in verse 8, My son, God, will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And then we read, and we saw it there uh, a moment ago in verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son, because God had told him in the previous verses, don't lay your hand on him. That's not what I want. Now, Abraham had prophesied in verse 8, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And then he finds in verse 13, this ram in a thicket hung by his horns, and there was the sacrifice. And then in verse 14, and Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. Now you know that name, that one of the compound names of God. Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said today, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Now Jehovah-Jireh literally means our God who sees and provides. Notice there it says in this particular translation, New King James, the Lord will provide. That's, that's what Jehovah-Jireh means. But it really means more than that. It means the Lord will see and provide. Because God, who operates outside our realm of space and time, He sees the need before the need ever comes. He, he's, he's already positioned the answer before the problem ever arises. Glory to God. And so he gets his name here from Abraham, the Lord who sees and provides. Jehovah-Jireh, many times as he's called, my provider. Glory to God. Like a father, he provides everything that his children need. Now, you know, one of the, one of the fundamental uh, understandings that every believer needs to have of God and of the Word of God, there are actually four of them. I call them like the four legs of a chair. If that chair's got four good legs, then it'll hold anything up that sits in it. But if one of those legs is weak or missing, then it's going to topple over. There are four different Bible subjects that every believer ought to, matter, uh, ought to master. And one of them is the character and the nature of God. This is where a lot of Christians really, uh, I think, fall short in that they don't understand God's nature. They don't understand God's character. Now, there's always going to be a learning curve and there's always going to be the opportunity to know more. But I'll tell you, if you know God's character and if you know God's nature, then it'll cause you, it'll save you from making a lot of mistakes when it comes to interpreting situations or interpreting doctrine even. For instance, there's a lot of times, and you know, if you were raised in the denominational church, then you've probably heard it said that God will use things, bad things, tragedies, God will use sicknesses and diseases and so forth to teach you things. Well now, you may be able to find scriptures in the Old Testament that seem to indicate that. However, the problem with that is that that goes exactly contrary to God's nature. It goes exactly contrary to God's character. 
God's nature is not such that it will that it will actively use bad things to perfect you. Now, for instance, you read over there in uh, the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus, after being filled with the Holy Ghost in his, uh, uh, and baptized in water at the River Jordan by John the Baptist, the Bible says the Spirit led him up into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And so you read that, and if you just take it at, you know, at the face value of that statement in the King James Bible, it would seem that the Spirit of God led him up there into temptation. But you have to understand the character of God, the nature of God, in order to see what's going on. Now, again, you've heard it said that God will use the devil to teach you a lesson. But when you read the story, you recognize that God didn't lead Jesus into the wilderness for the devil to teach him a lesson. God led the de- Jesus into the wilderness so that Jesus would teach the devil a lesson. Are you here? God was with Jesus. He wasn't with the devil. God was working through Jesus, not working through the devil. So when you understand the nature of God, the character of God, you realize, no, God doesn't do that because if a natural father would not put pain and suffering on his natural son to teach him, how much more will God our Father give good things and supply good things to them that ask him? Are you here or not? Glory to God. Everybody say, I've got a good God. Say, He's a good Father. He's on my side. Amen. He is for sure. Now, because of that, in, in referencing the nature of God, I want to kind of veer off the beaten path here for a minute uh, for, for this service. I want to share something with you that may be a little bit out of timing because it's not quite Christmas yet, but I want us to look at something about the Christmas story, okay? I want you to go with me over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, and I want to clean something up that God has been accused of over the years and that, quite frankly, like many, I probably just looked at it, kind of read through it, listened to it. You, you really only pay that much attention to it when it's emphasized at Christmas time during the holiday season. And I, I, would, I would hear it and I'd say, yeah, well, okay, and there's something on the inside just scratching, but you just move on past it because you got other things to do. But I find this very, very interesting, very, very enlightening, and very, very uh, helpful when it comes to understanding God's nature and His character. So let's look here at the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Now this is one of the uh, Gospel accounts that uh, talks about uh, Jesus' birth and what some of the details that went on. Matthew and Luke give us the most information of all the Gospels. Verse 1 of chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. We know what party he was. Verse 2, And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. Now when it says all the world, of course it's talking about the Roman world, and Israel fell under that Roman rule at the time. Verse 3, And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger 
because there was no room for him in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go now even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And so there is a portion of the Christmas story as we've heard it taught all these years. And so we see there that they, the angels found. I mean, the angels spoke to the shepherds, and the shepherds um, uh, found Jesus. And there he was lying in a manger, and he was in that manger because there was no room in the inn. Amen. And we're all up to speed on the Christmas story. Everybody familiar with it? All right. Now that, that's one of the things that has long troubled me over the years that I just I, I just had a problem with because not because I dispute the word of God, but because the the story that it, the way it's been interpreted has gone so crossways with the nature and the character of God. Now here's God, and this is the most important event that has ever taken place up to this time, the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus, the world changed. His birth, His death, His life, and His resurrection, it changed the world. You understand? I don't mean it just changed His world, I mean it changed the world. Even the way we operate our calendars operates from that time frame. Before that, our calendars were one way. After that, our calendars change. Everything changed after that. So here's God. And, and by the way, this was, this was not done off the cuff. This was not just kind of a spur of the moment thing. You understand that God had been planning this event forever. You know what the oldest prophecy in the Bible is? Anybody know what the oldest prophecy in the Bible? The oldest prophecy in the Bible was spoken by Enoch. It's recorded in the book of Jude, and it's about the second coming of Jesus. Are you all here? God's been looking forward to this thing and planning this thing for a long time. And so now we get down to where it's time for Jesus to be born, and he hadn't got a place to put him? Isn't that what we've been taught? They threw him over there in a... V-shaped little trough because there wasn't anywhere else to put him. No room in the inn. Thank you for your enthusiasm. <laughs> that's what we've been taught. That's that. That's the 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 inference that uh, that we've that we've taken away from this story. But here was Jesus, and and no place to put him. So you know he was born in a garbage dumpster. Does that sound like a father? I mean, if my father won't even bring me home in a used car, how much more have we got something going on here that obviously we don't see the fullness of? 
Can you say amen? amen? Well, there is an explanation for this. There is a reason for this. The thing that put me on this trail goes back to the, uh, the uh, 12th verse of this chapter. Luke chapter 2, verse 12. He said, The angel said to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. And what's the sign? You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Okay, this shall be a sign to you. Again, another inference that I have uh, picked up over the years from, these, from this story is that the angels appeared to a bunch of uh, uh, illiterate, backwards, uh, you know, can't get a better job because they got no education. Guys out here tending sheep. And of course, you know, the religious cast to that, the religious slant to that is, yes, of course, Jesus was born in such an humble way and the, the illiterate shepherds were the first ones that God came to because God loves the down and outers, right? Hello. And so he spoke this to them and he said, this shall be a sign to you. You'll find him lying in the manger. Now, let me ask you this. When we talk about signs, and in these last days, we've been promised some signs and wonders. When we talk about signs, do you think these signs are going to be really, really difficult to read? Or are they going to be something that God wants us to understand? Amen. I mean, usually if the government puts a sign up, it's because they want you to know what that sign is all about. In other words, if there's, a, if there's a, a construction area up here and they put a sign up, they want you to know that so you don't go killing the construction workers, right? So usually when you think of a sign, it's, it's, it's to get your attention and to, to, uh, uh, to inform you of something. So he says to these shepherds, this is going to be a sign to you. You're going to find a baby born in a manger, lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Why would that be a sign? Now, I'm not a shepherd, I grant you, but why would that be a sign to a shepherd or to anybody else, Pastor? I don't know. I mean, I, I just kind of accepted all that for years and, and never bothered to really dig down into it until I decided to dig down into it. And I got the answer. We've been, to, we've been told that we're gonna, we, we can expect signs and wonders in these last days. Now, this is not to dispute anything that's being taught because I've got good friends that teach these things and, and I agree with them, but please don't misunderstand me. But I've got to tell you, when, when you know, Joel prophesies it and Peter preaches it on the day of Pentecost that in the last days there's going to be signs in the heaven above and the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke and all these things, I, I'm having a hard time reconciling that to being a moon that turns orange. If you ask me, a blood moon, it's interesting, but it's kind of underwhelming. Any of y'all seen the blood moon? Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, if I, I don't mean to be stepping on anybody's toes because I preach, hey, we got a blood moon coming up. Let's all watch it. Well, we stand out there and we watch it. Two o'clock in the morning, man, that's cool. And then the next day we just sleep late because <laughs> we didn't go to bed on time. And three weeks later, yeah, we saw something. Three weeks later, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a nothing burger. Are you, are you listening to me? Yeah. I mean, nobody, I don't know anybody's got saved because of that blood moon. I, and, and really, I don't know anybody in the world that woke up and said, oh my God, Jesus is coming. We better straighten our act out. The signs that God talks about are going to be a whole lot more impressive 
than what we've seen so far, okay? Believe me when I say signs are coming. There's going to be cosmic things coming. And they're going to get everybody's attention. Nobody's going to wonder, did something happen? They may not know what happened, but they're not going to wonder if something happened. And so when we talk about signs, when the Bible talks about signs, I'm expecting a little bit more. Amen. So when God says to the shepherd, the angel says to the shepherd, this is going to be a sign to you. Okay, if you've got a bunch of uneducated, illiterate, <coughs> um, you know, workers out here, and angels appear to them and say, this is going to be a sign. It looks like the angels would be a sign. We're looking for signs. We've already got one, but that's not what they said. No, we're just here to tell you about the sign. You go there and you're going to see a sign. So they went, and the Bible says they went and they were astounded. Those shepherds, it was a wake-up call for them. And they went around publishing this to everybody, and everybody that they talked to was amazed about it. What was the sign? A baby lying in a trough? Well, here it is. How many of you want to know what it is? All right. In order to understand this, you got to back up and get some history. And you got to understand who God's talking to, and what He's talking to them about. So, let's go back and let's look at something. Let's, uh, let's go to the book of uh, Micah. Micah, the, uh, we'll start in the uh, fifth chapter. Micah chapter 5, and I'll begin reading here in verse 2. Micah 5.2 says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall, be, shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Now hold that thought in your mind. Hold that scripture in your mind. This is a prophecy concerning the Messiah. The Jews were very, the rabbis, the, 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 those that are schooled in the Old Testament were very, very aware of this. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Then back up to chapter 4 and notice what it says in verse 8. Micah chapter 4 verse 8. It says, And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, hold those two, those two scriptures in mind. We're talking about the first one we read in, in chapter 5, Bethlehem Ephrata. Of course, we know Bethlehem, Bethlehem was the place where Jesus was born, right? Now, in the next verse, or the, the fourth chapter we just read there, this tower, he speaks of the tower of the flock. Now, in the Hebrew, and this is important, so... Remember this, we're going to see it in a minute. In the Hebrew, this tower of the flock is, and I hope I'm pronouncing it right, it's migdal eater. Migdal eater. Eater means flock. Migdal is the tower. Okay? Now, back on up to the book of Genesis with me. And let's go over here to Genesis chapter 35, where we're going to see the first mention of this. Genesis 35 is the story of Jacob and his wife Rachel. You know, Jacob became Israel. He had two wives. 
Rachel and Leah. These two wives of his gave birth to the 12 tribes of Israel. And we see here the last birth in, Jacob, uh, in uh, Rachel's life. Verse 9, it says, And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padan Aram, or Padan Aram, and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. This is where God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be out of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, to thee I will give it. And to thy seed after thee I will give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the, place, the name of the place where God spoke with him Bethel, which means the house of God. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. Now that Ephrath there is what we read over in the book of Micah, where it talks about Bethlehem Ephrata. This, it's the name of the region. It's the same place. This is Bethlehem. It came a little way to come to Ephrath, and Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt also have this son, or thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. Benoni means uh, son of sorrow. Benjamin means uh, son of rejoicing. And Abraham, sorry, and Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. Verse 21, and Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar. And it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben and so on and went on with the story. And so here's what happened. We just read, Rachel is pregnant with her youngest son, Benjamin, who was the brother of Joseph. And she goes into labor as they come into this region of Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrata. She gives birth, but she dies in childbearing. There, uh, uh, Israel, Jacob, Israel, builds a, a, a tomb, which is still there. And it's a, it's a big place, the tomb of Rachel in Israel, if you've ever been. And then he journeys on only about another thousand yards or so, to this place called Edar. And it speaks there of the Tower of Eder. Now remember we read over in uh, Micah chapter 4, it spoke of the Tower of the Flock. That is this, the Tower of Edar. Migdal means tower, Edar means the flock. All right, so what happened was he buried Rachel there in the Bethlehem area. Then he travels another thousand yards or so, and he comes to this place that is a, a place of elevation. Now, he's a shepherd, and he's got sheep, and, and they, they, they camp in this place, and he establishes his home in this place. And this is significant, and it's, it's strategic also, because it's high ground where the shepherds can watch over the flocks that are there. Now, if you've ever been to Israel or looked at a map, you know then that Bethlehem is just a very short distance from Jerusalem. Later on, as... As Israel grew, the people of Israel grew, as the land was settled, and they came into their own, into their inheritance, you know, under the, uh, uh, the um, uh, leadership of uh, Joshua. Well, they, they've established all this, this uh, land, and they've got the inheritance there. 
And they're tending these flocks. They're shepherds by nature. You know, I mean, many of them are. They're shepherds. And Jerusalem is the place where the temple is built. Now, the, 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 uh, the sheep that are tended were tended for the purpose of sacrifice to the temple. Now, a lot of sheep were raised in Israel, and some of them were raised for, you know, sale. Some were raised for food, all that. But there, was a, there were flocks that were dedicated to the temple sacrifice. Every day when the temple was built, sheep were sacrificed. And of course, on the day of Passover, there was a sheep for every family in the, in the nation. So there were a lot of sheep that were tended and raised for temple sacrifice. All right, we're going to fast forward now. You've got uh, Isaac, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Israel, Jacob, Israel, who has established himself in this place. He's established his home and his, his uh, uh, you know, area where he lives there at this place called Edar, this Tower of Edar, Migdal Edar. He's established there. Now we come fast forward into the days of David, King David. And by the time that David has come along, there has developed a group of, of shepherds that are actually priestly shepherds. And their role, their job is to look after the sheep that were designated for temple sacrifice. Now there were shepherds and flocks all over Israel, but these in this particular place, because remember they had to be close to the temple in order to be sacrificed. They couldn't travel over a certain uh, distance. And another thing about these sheep were, remember that they had to be scrutinized very closely. They had to be firstborn males to be eligible for sacrifice. They had to be without spot and without blemish. And so these flocks of sheep were tended in this area and they were designated, they were raised specifically for sacrifice in the temple. Now David was one of these priestly shepherds we, we read the story about him and we think, well, he was just the youngest son. He was the shepherd boy because he wasn't qualified for anything else or maybe he was the youngest and so he got the grunt jobs. But actually David was part of a, priest, a shepherd priesthood, a priestly shepherd that studied the Word of God. They studied under the rabbis and they looked after the sheep. And this is why David was such a profound psalmist because he knew the Word. He studied the Word of God. You know, it wasn't that David was just unique in the sense that out of him flowed all these things. He was a student of the Word. So when we come into the days of Jesus, where the angels appeared to these shepherds out there that were guarding the flocks, this was that same place near Bethlehem. They were guarding flocks for the uh, temple sacrifice, and these were also students of the Word. They were part of this priestly shepherd. Uh, group, okay? So once again, that, that blesses me because God didn't just show up in the immigrant camp, so to speak. God came to the people that were the students of the Word. When He came to Israel, He came, I mean, when He came to, uh, when Jesus was born and He came to these shepherds, He came to the ones that were looking after the temple sacrifice sheep and were students of the word. They were part of this priestly shepherd group, as David was. And he spoke to them about something that they understood because he said, this is going to be a sign to you. You're going to find this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. All right, now we go back to this temple, this, I mean this tower, this tower of Eder. The, the place where uh, 
Israel, Jacob, settled. And where they watched these sheep was a place that was on high ground and they could see the sheep in the valleys down below. But later on, they actually built a stone tower there. And they built a number of these towers throughout Israel for the purpose of they would you know, be elevated up on the second story of this tower. They could see farther. And you remember David talked about how he was watching the sheep and he saw a lion come in and try to kill one. A bear came and killed him. He killed the lion. He killed the bear. And I'll take down this Philistine in the same way. All right? David is guarding those sheep. He's looking at them from the tower, you see. But down on the bottom floor of these towers that they built, it was built in order for the sheep, the ewes, to give birth. And because these sheep had to be scrutinized so closely, and they had to be so perfect, when the ewes were ready to give birth, they would bring them into this birthing floor, the lower part of the tower. They had a stone trough that was carved into a place. And when the little lambs were born, because the, the skin of a newborn lamb is very sensitive, they would wrap them in swaddling clothes. And they would lay them in this trough that was des designated for temple sacrifice. Are y'all here? So, when the angels appeared to the shepherds and said, now go to Bethlehem, and there you will see the sign, a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Notice the shepherds didn't ask for an address. Now, Bethlehem may not have been a big city like Redmond, but still, well, I mean, Redmond, if you had to find a baby in a manger in Redmond, where would you start? Reckon there's been any babies born this past weekend? Where would you start? The shepherds didn't ask for an address. They went straight to the place that they expected to find this sign because they knew the place. They knew the scripture in Micah chapter 4 and chapter 5. They knew that the Messiah was going to come out of Bethlehem. They knew that the tower of Migdal, the tower of Eder, uh, Migdal Eder, the tower of Eder was, was uh, playing a role in this. They worked there in that region. And so the angels told them, go and you'll see this sign. They went straight to that place. They didn't have to ask, hey, anybody heard of a baby being born lately? They went straight to the place. They went in and there lying in the trough that had been prepared for hundreds of years, wrapped in swaddling clothes, that were cloths that were reserved for the sacrificial lambs, was lying a baby. Now, several points to be made here, one of which is God didn't do this as a last-ditch resort because there wasn't room for Him anywhere else. God had prepared this place for His Son's birth since the beginning of time. He had been moving the pieces into place and setting things into motion and bringing people into geographic regions and leading them to establish themselves in certain places on certain hills so that in the year that we know as 2,000 years ago thereabouts, when his son was born, not only was there not 
not a place to be found for Jesus when he was born. That's not what happened. There was a place that was reserved for him and him alone and nobody else could use it. Because God had seen and God had provided. So the shepherds understood what they were looking for and they understood what these angels were talking about because they were students of the word. God's appearing to the word people of that day and sharing with them things that only the word people knew of that day. And they go to that place and they don't have to hunt around. They don't have to go knocking door to door. They go straight to that tower and they find that place and they find that, that uh, baby laying there wrapped in those cloths that should have been or that were always used for the sheep. And they realize, as John said years later, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. The Father's provision, Jehovah Jireh. He saw it. He prepared for it and that place was reserved for Jesus and Jesus alone. I say it again, Jesus was not born in a garbage dumpster. He was not, he was not born in the, well, you know, we say that's the last place they could find. You always stop at the last place you can find. If you're hunting a hotel room, that's where you stay, the last place you find. Yeah, maybe Mary and Joseph went from place to place, went from one end to another, one bed and breakfast to another, looking, is there a place here? Uh, you got any room? No, don't have any room. They keep going until they find the place that God had reserved in their name. They may not have known it at the time, but God knew it. And God had provided, and God had set it up, and God saw to it that His Son had the first class accommodation. He wasn't born in a barn. He was born in a place that had been built for the lambs of God. And only the lambs born for sacrifice. Man, you think about all these moving parts. You think about all this planning and all this foresight and all this provision. God did that for Jesus. And then Jesus told us, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because God wants us to understand that if He did it for His Son, Jesus, now then you and I as believers fall into that same category. And here we are in 2021 and all hell's breaking loose in a lot of quarters. But God didn't get surprised by any of this. None of this has caught Him flat-footed or off guard and He has already set things in motion hundreds of years, thousands of years, tens of thousands of years. He's already set things in motion to, to coincide, to intercept. We're on an intercept course with things that God has set in motion for such a time as this. Praise God. How much more will our Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him? I woke up this morning and the Lord spoke to me and said, tell Pastor Jerry this. So I'm going to tell you what the Lord said. He said, nothing is too good for you and your church. 
And only the best is good enough. So I'll say it again. Nothing is too good for you and your church. These are the words my father spoke. My father and your father. Nothing is too good for you and you and you and you and you and you and you. And And if I knew your names, I'd call them out. And you and you. And only the best is good enough. And God has released things from heaven. You know, we use the phrase, He saves the best for last. We get that from the Gospel of John where Jesus, you know, turned the water into wine and the governor of the feast says, well, you know, usually they serve the good wine up front and then when men are half drunk, don't know the difference, you bring out the inferior stuff. But you've saved the best for last. And so we kind of use that as a, uh, a characteristic of God, that He saves the best for last. Well, that doesn't mean that he's held back good until now. What it means is that he's released things that are only just now in play and in motion to happen in these days for this generation. God set things in motion for this generation that no other generation has ever seen or gotten to partake of. Praise the Lord. So let them bring on their designer diseases. And let them fight their wars. And let them make all the noise they want to make. And let them threaten. Because I serve a father. A father of love who has set things in motion. Who has released things from heaven that I'm on a collision course with. And when I need it, it'll be there, glory to God. And I'll step into it. And I've lived my life this way for the past 40 plus years. Ever since I found out that I had a father who loved me and who had already seen my need and provided. Glory to God. And that's the Father we serve. So it asks the question, and I believe it answers the question, how much more? How much more? Think Think about God building a building just so His Son would be assured a good place to come into this world. If he'll do it for him, he'll do it for you and me. I said if he'll do it for him, he'll do it for you and me. Because Jesus then went to the cross as that lamb. Jesus then went to the cross in order to pave the way for you and me to have access to the same Father and the same love and the same care. And not only that, but God didn't quit taking care of him then. Because you remember, if you read over in the Gospel of Matthew, the Magi, the wise men they're called, they came to Herod. They'd seen the star. God God arranged the stars and the constellations and the planets to come into such a configuration that it would wake people up many weeks' journey away and they would see what was going on out here and they would say, now... That's the sign of a king. We need to go find out what's that about, what that's about. And you don't go empty-handed if you're going to visit a king. So they loaded up with gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they started off on this journey. And then they rode into Jerusalem there and found Herod because he's the political, you know, he's the president, he's the mayor, he's the big dog. And they find him and say, now, 
where is the king of the Jews? And Herod says, what are they talking about? So he calls all the experts. What, what are they talking about? We've seen his sign. So he consults the religious leaders. They say, yep, yep, Micah said he'll be born in Bethlehem. So that's where they need to go look. So Herod sends them on and says, now when you find out about him, come back and bring me word. So they went on to Bethlehem and they found him. And when they went in, they saw him and they laid all this treasure at his feet. And then the angel told him to go home a different way. Don't go back to Herod because Herod is up to mischief. And when they left and didn't come back, Herod saw that they made a fool out of him. So he sent soldiers to Bethlehem, to that area, and killed all the children two years old and under. But not Jesus, because Jesus had already made the escape. His, his, his stepfather, Joseph, and his mother Mary had grabbed their bug out bag full of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And he financed their lifestyle in Egypt. And they lived well down there. Because God saw Herod coming. God saw death coming. And he got his son out of harm's way. God's seen all this stuff coming. He's seen it all coming. Everything we're dealing with, he's seen it coming. And he's already released and dispatched things from heaven. Provision. Angelic hosts. Glory to God. Everything that's going to be needed in these last days, God's already sent it. It's on the way. And when you get to the place where you need it, it's yours. Are y'all here or not? Yes. Praise God. How much more? How much more? How much more? Will our Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask Him? So here, let's sum it up. Let's see what we've got. We've got... An ungodly political leader raising taxes and sending people running to get back in order to comply. Then we've got ministering spirits showing up and announcing things. We've got signs. We've got revelations. We've got attacks, governmental attacks. Deadly attacks. But we've got deliverance every time. We've got preservation. We've got prosperity right in the midst of all these onslaughts that are going on. All because God is a father who looks after his children. At that time, Jesus was his only son, but not today. Now then, he's got more than one. Any sons of God in here today? Daughters, daughters qualified too. Amen. And in the same way, God's already seen these things and he's already provided. So when the bad news is trumpeted and the fear is peddled and the threats are made, just keep this in mind. None of these things need move you. They don't move God. He's already moved. <laughs> He's already moved. So don't let them move you either. And just know that this is a prime 
ripe opportunity for you to be walking in God's provision like never before. Supernatural provision. You know, Pastor, a lot of what we've called supernatural increase and in provision in the past has really not been that supernatural. It's been legitimate, it's been increase, and it's been provision, but it hasn't been all that supernatural. But supernatural increase is a real thing. Spectacular increase is a real thing. And what better time for it to happen than when, when it doesn't look like it could happen? How much more? How much more? How much more? Glory to God. So we see here God's nature. We see His character. We see God looks after His family. And if you're in the family of God, you've got nothing to worry about, friend. Nothing to be afraid of. Nothing to shy away from or shirk from. Nothing to run from. If God be for you, who can be against you? I think it was significant, though, that Abraham called him Jehovah-Jireh. He called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. Now, who do you call God? Who is He to you? He'll be to you whoever you say He will. Whoever you call Him, He'll be that to you. Praise God. Let's all stand up. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to watch the video of this message, head over to vimeo.com forward slash WOVictory or go to Jerry Roberts Ministry on Roku. For more information about who we are and what we do here at Order Victory, check out the website at wovictory.org. That's wovictory.org. See you there.